Good morning. This is your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the November 1st, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. We're one week till the midterm elections, folks. So uh, I've dropped my ballot off and the drop box last week, save the registrable stamp. After the tsunami of October surprises, we seem to be experiencing November surprises. So keep your critical thinking caps on ever snugly. Today, my guests are Allison Demikolas, Tustin Unified School Board member with insights about the trends afoot in Orange County School Board's composition. Think tectonic plates moving under our feet. In the second segment is Irvine Mayor Farah Khan, who is running for another term. This is the last of the midterm election candidates. Who's not showing? I've invited Council Member Anthony Cole and candidate John Park. I've not heard back from either one. And Pramut Kunjo running in the Community College District 6 has canceled his appearance. We'll be right back after a station break. Thank you, everybody, for staying tuned. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Allison Muniz Demikolas. She's a Tustin Irvine school board member, only the second school board member of Hispanic Latina heritage, elected to the Tustin school board in their 50-year history. She was first elected November 2020. Well into the pandemic, she successfully defeated a recall effort that was filed eight months into her term. Her day job is as engineer, environmental protection, and public health. After her election to the board in November, Allison Muniz Demikolas, defeating a 24-year incumbent, now represents this trustee area one on the Board of Education. Just sort of people know it's the north of I-5 and east of the 55, so just to locate you where she is. But you'll see some broader connections of her work and regional and national trends. Assuming her position on the school board amid a pandemic helped her shape some priorities, which will be coming out in this interview. Not only has she focused on improving student performance and graduation rates while strengthening sports, music, and technical education, she was a leading proponent for increased nursing staff, expanded access to food, dental services, and mental health support. Raised in a Latino family in West Covina, she credits certain teachers and administrators with helping her discover and develop her aptitude for math and science, which inspired her to go to college, where she earned a degree in chemical engineering at Cal Poly University of Pomona. Prior to her election, she was already active in leadership and civic affairs, having served as the PTO president at Columbus Tustin Middle School and Beckman High School on the Special Ed Community Advisory Board and on the board of Tustin Area Council for Fine Arts. She joins me in studio today. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Alison Muniz de Micolas. Thank you, Claudia, for having me today. I learned something a little bit magical about radio this morning is that your listeners don't care whether I have makeup on or my hair is done. It's kind of interesting. It's it's kind of a cool thing, I thought. But we did. So. We do talk. I've had lots of art visits on here. And when I introduced our incumbent congresswoman, I said, so radio is going to not get the iconic whiteboard of Katie Porter's or <laughs> right. her mother's quilt. So 
Yes, we're we're casual, but it's very but, liberating. But okay, well there you go. Well, don't let this fool you, folks. This woman is such a workhorse in public policy, and you're going to hear it. So your school board incumbency, it's a case study of a long game underway in Orange County and around the country. We're all hearing that. We'll focus on your district and the county trend. So would you, Allison, briefly talk about your motivation? I mean, I, I gave it a little lip service, but you'll have more rich details. Mm -hmm. Just but briefly about your motivation, your election in 2020, and then the recall bid to unseat you in 2021. Where sure. you did prevail. Sure. Well, growing up in a Hispanic family, as you mentioned, uh, informed my perspective. But one of the things that was hard in my childhood was it was very chaotic. And at times I was on free lunch. And um, there was teachers and principals along the way that really took an interest in me and helped me, helped me to make sure that I succeeded in public education. And along the way, I realized that it could be a way to better opportunities. And so ultimately, as you said, I earned an engineering degree. And in the meantime, as I was working and then having two daughters with special needs, learning how to advocate for them, I did get more involved in our children's schools. And at Columbus Tustin Middle School, which is a Title I school, meaning 70% of our kids are on free and reduced lunch. As I got more involved in the schools, I realized that there was a population that potentially wasn't being advocated for, as well as the schools in my area in an overall sense. And as I advocated for those kids and recognized many of the kids in myself, I thought that I could have a bigger role as a school board member. And so I decided to run in 2020 for school board, much to the chagrin of some of my neighbors who actually told me, you can't just decide to run for school board and then run for school board. But you did. I did, and I won by um, a fairly good margin, beating a 26-year incumbent who um, had been there placed originally by the California Policy Center. And so um, with all of that being said, about six months into my um, tenure, I was sworn in in December, and in about June or July, I started to recognize that the parents that were coming to our school board meetings may not even necessarily live in our area. There are people that I hadn't even seen before who were angry about all sorts of things. And I remember telling a colleague that that I was listening to the rhetoric and that and that it seemed as though I might be served with recall papers. And even, sa even saying that out loud didn't even seem real. But um, ultimately, I was served with recall papers in August and um, not even on the board a year. And it was it was pretty intense. I had a lot of um, there was a lot of signature gathering. And as it turns out, there's only 15 signatures needed to get this process started. Oh. And if should it go to a special election, it would have cost the school district not anybody else, but the school district, hundreds of thousands of dollars to run a special election. And so you have to ask yourself, is it truly, was it truly about kids' education? Well, that's the whole thing that we, you haven't mentioned the pandemic in your tale, but that was the playbook that I think mobilized people that wanted to go after you. They had one kind of playbook and then they could slide in some concept that they had of what is in the curriculum in K through 12. So, and there were high tensions about people congregating indoors when the pandemic was really raging. That's the scene. That's the scene. It was, 
it was uh, it was chaotic. It was scary at times. It was um, it was hard. It it you know, as a school board member, you want to do what's best for all twenty two thousand students. You don't want to um, focus on one group. You want to make sure that all of your kids are getting everything that they need. But it didn't seem that the groups that were coming in were necessarily advocating for all of our kids. And, you know, in Orange County, we were one of the first ones to come back to school in person. And so the recall effort was defeated, um, despite them working incredibly hard to unseat me. And I do think that there was several undertones, but using the pandemic as a Trojan horse, essentially, to get politics into education was one tactic that they were using. So that is where we are. We are now, now you're in your, you're filling your term. So I would like for you to talk about what you think is under, I I mentioned in the introduction, there's tectonic plates shifting under our feet. And that's referring in one way to this long game of undermining public education. That Prop 13 was going after the fiscal zero sum. And then with the uh, this culture war coming in with the uh, opposing the alleged uh, curriculum of the critical race theory, which we we know it's not being taught in K through right. twelve, but right. but that that became it it combined the fiscal zero sum with a cultural tribal kind of undermining of public education. So that's my way of characterizing. Can you talk? Give us a little bit of the demographics of the people that were turning out that are a part of this movement to continue undermining public education as we know it. You know, I think there were some local families that were part of the effort of trying to, and let's not mince words, it's about privatizing public education. That's the end game. It's not any other, there isn't another end game to this. That's their, That's where they will stop. They will use anything to ultimately privatize public education. And so even though there were some of our families from Tustin that were part of it, there was absolutely people coming from all over the place that hadn't ever been. In fact, if you watch some of the videos of our, of our school board meetings, people would say, we don't live here, but I may have used to live here. Or somebody was telling me this. And so I just was very upset about it. So I needed to come to your school board meeting. And you didn't even know exactly where they were coming from. There was one particular person who was in who was seemed to be one of the leaders of this um, very loud minority group who actually lived in a neighboring community. But instead of sending his child to his local schools in his community, he actually petitioned to get his kids into our school district, but was complaining about our school district from living in a different city. It's kind of interesting when you are putting your kids in a, when you opted into our school district, you think that he had other options. So I want to frame for listeners, and you can tell me if this is the right kind of verbiage, but there is an asymmetry. There is an orchestrated effort. There's, there is a power behind these people attending the meetings that are making these demands and you are you're just trying to you're working on curriculum your your eyes are your bandwidth is already filled up with how can we make this these title one schools perform better how can we make more equitable 
curriculum considerations. How, how can we just do better for students? But there's this sort of grinding sort of power play to just keep peeling away any kind of resource that you have. So I just, that asymmetry is going to be there. And so I, for those of you who just joined us, my guest is Allison Muniz de Mikolas. She's a Tustin Unified School Board member whose current term goes until December 2024. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the trends in local school board politics. And there's another piece of this going on in the Los Angeles Times throughout LA uh, yesterday's edition. So I would like for you, if you could, I'm asking you to do this somewhat rapidly, is to raise some case studies around Orange County. We, I've covered with two parents, the Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District, that they are, there's now, the, well, I don't know if there's one or two more board members up for election where this asymmetry, this, this sort of powerful entity is now promoting those candidates on the ballot for next week. And so if you want to talk about them, and there's also the uh, the Newport Mesa School District where there is this, they're called the Newport Mesa Uncensored Group. So, um, I, so can you talk about how those forces are working in slotting their people into those school boards? One, picking off one board after the next, but if you want to use those two school board districts as a case and study. Yes, I think actually we can even use Tustin as a, as a good example. But the recall effort... The recall effort was certainly um, designed to tap into parents' fears over the pandemic and um, all the angst that was that happened during the pandemic, having kids home, trying to work, feed your kids and do all the things that you have to do as families and all being home together. And so they were trying to tap into those fears and, and in which case it happened right in Tustin, using that in order to sow distrust in our schools was a tactic that they used. And because they were unsuccessful in the recall bid, they have put up a candidate against a colleague of mine um, that is somewhat of this uh, fringe ideology um, to try to get them elected into our school board. And so will it continue to happen? Yes. But I believe that even though there is some distrust because of the pandemic and because of Prop 13 and because we haven't had the funding that we had had previously. I do think, though, moving forward, the trust will be rebuilt. And even if there is some of these fringe candidates that do get elected to school boards, I think in an overall sense, I think we will prevail because we do have the funding that I think our kids need now. Of course, there's never enough, but we are very focused, and our school board in particular Um, is very focused on kids, all kids, making sure that they get what they need, making sure that they have resources. We're one of the first school districts to have such a huge emphasis on mental health and wellness. That's one of our board goals. Before Uh, the pandemic was already underway, so this was in place to support students ailing. This was a goal. But during the pandemic, we had hired up to almost 40 mental health professionals across the board. And um, we've increased our nursing staff, as well as one thing in Tustin that we're doing is we're creating community schools and all of our Title I schools. I think with all of this effort, I think we're going to start to see kids and families be better supported and trust in public education will be better. So can you, Allison, say to uh, tell us to what extent, if you've seen charter schools, how are they performing stepping up with those kind of services? Is this the is this part of the budget? Do they set those similar priorities, or can you see a trend here? 
I, you know, I can't speak to all charter schools. I know that there are some good charter schools and some charter schools fill a need in districts where there isn't, it isn't being filled by their school district. Now, is there other charter schools who are not, not paying attention to the health and welfare of their children? I'm sure that there are. We know from testing, from what, what Tustin's doing, we, we did lose some ground during the pandemic. But um, as the testing results come out, we'll be able to see how other schools performed. I can't, we do not have any charter schools in Tustin Unified, so I can't speak to any of them within Tustin Unified boundaries. Do you have a handle on the students? Are they attending some of these meetings to appeal to supporting them of keeping that curriculum a robust one to make them competitive in the world? Students in Tustin Unified? Yes. Absolutely. In fact, we had a, one of our student board members last uh, year when during the height of the recall, I can specifically turn in him, he specifically spoke in favor of the board and all the things we were doing in, in particular our ethnic studies class. But he turned around to the audience and said, I am so embarrassed by you parents acting this way. I have never seen any adults act like this. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And it was it was very um, somewhat, you know, um, trying to think of the right word. It was. Well, I'm thinking everything from riveting to humbling to. Yes. Essential. Very, very humbling and and very much proud of him because. He was educated in Tustin Unified Schools and to be able to speak, he was a senior who's now at at UCLA and I'm incredibly proud, but to be able to speak his truth and in a way that was incredibly respectful of the elders in the room, it was, it was a testament to his education to us and to, um, and to this future that, that we're educating. So that is the quality of an education and in in the background we were talking about what happens but there's two parts of this is what happens with there's a social cost if there becomes a very reductive curriculum that Mm -hmm. is where this this ideological culture war is leading Mm -hmm. with uh, the school boards everywhere and so there's one there's the quality of education that that one cost is do we want to have the professionals that we engage with? Do we want our physician that we're getting health care from, a therapist? I'm just trying to think of anybody in public safety, any kind of career. Do we want them to have had a minimal education that didn't give them a think on your feet, a critical thinking kind of capacity because of a very reductive curriculum? There's that cost. The other cost that you and I talked a little bit on background, which I thought was fascinating, is if some homeowner is trying to sell, put their home on the market, does a school performing with a reductive kind of curriculum, that's my shorthand, I'm not sure you can give me a better uh, shorthand mm-hmm. for this, is that going to lower the value of properties that are put on the market because nobody wants their kids to go to that school district? So those are two costs that I don't think are coming along with this argument about what curriculum is appropriate. I think so. I think it is. I, I agree obviously. I think that many parents will come to our school board meetings and say, we just need to get back to reading, writing, and arithmetic. But can you imagine preparing a student for the 21st century and economy and for an economy that we can't even dream of in 2050 or 2070 and not having them be critical thinkers and to be able to use every tool at their fingertips to be able then to turn that around and make sure that they're, they're able to 
feed their own families and to, you know, make a living. And so that's one thing. I I think I would just ask it as a question because even some parents um, this weekend, I was at an event and um, some parents came up to me and said that they were um, very grateful for Tustin Unified for this kind of entrepreneurship um, education that we have at one of our schools. And I asked them, I said, it sounds as though you appreciate that we are forward thinking. And he said, I am incredibly appreciative. He said, my kid was learning how to do taxes this week. I don't even know how to do taxes. He said, they have a really bright future ahead. And the fact that they have this broad education means that they have, they can do whatever they want. And it was really inspiring to hear from a parent recognize that we are doing some forward thinking, educating And so that's one aspect, absolutely. But then if you talk about the economics, we can't see exactly what's going to happen in Placentia, Laura Belinda. But from a very simple place, when I was looking for a home to buy, I had an infant daughter, I had a four-year-old daughter, and I had a six-year-old son. And what I did is I drew a circle around areas where they had great schools. And we looked for houses in those areas. So if you are a baby boomer who is living in Orange County, and we know that northern parts of Orange County definitely has an aging population, and you want to downsize, or you're going to move somewhere else where you're near your kids, and you want to sell to a family that can afford your house, that's the first thing. But second of all, does that family want to buy in your school district? I will tell you this, if I was looking for a house again, I would not look at Placentia or Belinda right now. At the same time, I'd be looking in Tustin. I would be looking in Irvine. I'd be looking at places where we know that the schools, the public schools are good. Okay, so that that's a factor to think about. So let's start to wind down with uh, still big questions about the pushback here in how and whether this long game can be addressed. I mean, you're giving us a few sort of anecdotal figures and uh, sort of uh, adages that people are bringing into the school board meetings. So how is the long game being addressed it's being has to be matched because it's forceful and reversed. And what do you say can be done to take this up? Well, I think it's a long way in coming. So it's going it to take a long time maybe to undo. It is. And it's been a 25 year long game with the GOP. Uh, the Democrats in an overall sense, an Ed Source article just recently said that the chairman of the Democratic Party of Orange County um, said that school boards and these local elections should be handled at the local level. I think I agree with them that their focus needs to be on more of a federal level and maybe an overall state level. But I do think that they should be focusing more, especially on school boards. So I guess to answer your question directly, is there enough being done? No. There was a pack formed here in Orange County, of which I'm proud to be have have been part of that forming of the pack. It's called Supporters of Public Education to combat some of these mistruths and these lies about public education and to support parents in choosing public education. But with that being said, I do think that there needs to be more done here at a local level. I think that the Democratic Party in an overall sense needs to recognize that school districts in particular are not only great for all the ideals that we hold true and that they're the backbone of democracy, but that they essentially are the centers of communities. This is where the power is. I don't think that they should lose sight. They should make sure that that even though they're focused on federal and state elections, they should 
make sure that they're also focused at the local level as well. So you're in this position. I'm going to, mm-hmm. this is a, putting you in the hot seat. So there, we first met, it was last week, and mm-hmm. it was a, an event, of mm-hmm. the, a partisan event. I was covering it, folks, mm-hmm. as a journalist. And there you had everybody's ear, if you wanted it. They're all mm-hmm. commemorating who's done great things from the national down to the, the local mm-hmm. level. So when you bring this to local Democratic Party's leadership's attention and operatives and all that, what is their reaction when you say, folks, eyes over here, the boards are hemorrhaging good leaders locally? I did that in June, and we did get support. So um, we they supported in the forming of the PAC, the support right, right. right? So they did support in June. Do you think that there needs to be more done? Absolutely. But, you know, that we're spread a little thin. It seems as though there's lots of fires to be put out right now. But hopefully moving forward, they will see the, the positivity in focusing on school boards and having good elected leaders and at the, at the local level, right, to be building a bench for future offices as well. And that, that is why the ones that are dealing with the privatizing of the education, it's also about a partisan kind of farm team. Somewhat. And, you know, school boards should not have politics in it. They really shouldn't. We should all be focused on educating kids. But the reality is, is that, you know, there are some players who are not, they're bad actors. Okay, that is on the the political party level locally. How about what can happen on the household and individual level to remedy this trend? That's a great question, because instead of parents complaining, here's what you can do. Be involved. Vote, vote, vote. That's the first thing you can do is make sure that you're well educated on who the people running for your local offices are. Look at their websites. Check check them out. Learn who endorsed them. So be aware of who you're voting for and vote. The second thing is, is be involved in your local schools. Even if you don't particularly have children, I have a lot of seniors who would love to come in, who come in and come and read to kids and be involved in their schools regardless of whether they have children there so be involved you can be involved in many ways be it pto council volunteering or school site council or even on a a superintendent's advisory board that would be the second thing the third thing is show up to your school board meetings listen to what they're saying be aware of what's on that agenda and lastly i think hold your local elected officials accountable and in the way that i'm saying is hold expect them to be boots on the ground. I go to so many community events every week and I do it slightly because I hear so much information. I'm getting as much information from parents and families um, and from teachers and staff. And when I have that kind of information coming into me, it informs my decisions. I'm more accountable to my constituents. I'm also more accountable to the students. I'm more accountable to the teachers and my and the superintendent and the admin staff. They ex- you should expect your local officials to be as involved at least as much as I am. So showing up, it's I think it's more than it used to be the adage was 85% of life is showing up. But in terms of policy, more than politics, it's maybe 90% showing up, showing up at any kind of arena where decisions are being made where positions are being exchanged. Absolutely. It's showing up in all levels. So I wanted in an earlier portion here, but I failed to insert it, and I want to sort of close 
with you responding to a tweet yesterday. A, a black military man tweeted this quote about the trend of limiting curriculum in schools around the country. And he said, my grandkids, that uh, this limiting the curriculum, quote, my grandkids, from it limits them from learning what my mom and dad went through being black in America. End of quote. Agreed. I there. I'll leave you with this thought. You have a. You have also heritage. Uh, right. Uh, get... My family. I. I say the border moved on us. Uh, my family was definitely part of the. Um, of the building of this part of the country, and um, so I'll leave you with this. This thought as the first Latina elected in over thirty years, who represents almost fifty percent of our students who identify as Latinx, and the only person of color on the board. When I tour schools. I can see kids who look like me, especially girls, look at me, and they look at me with such hope. And in, and in my ear sometimes, they will whisper, like, you're so pretty, or you're here, or, or they just seem to be in awe somewhat that I'm coming in with all these seemingly important people, and they don't exactly know why, but they see that if I can make it, they can make it. And that is super inspiring um, to me, and it also makes me want to work harder and continue this work. Well, I want to say, yes, optics are there. Represent, it's a representative piece, but they can hear also what you're saying yes. about supporting public education. Yes. They're hearing that message coming through. Yes, they are. Well, I thank you so much for coming down the studio t- with us today as we uh, covered this important trend. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Allison Munoz de Miklas, for coming to studio today. Thank you for being on Ask a Leader. Oh, thank you. Allison Munoz de Miklas is a Tustin Unified School Board member whose current term goes till December 24th, talking about trends in school board talk politics with a little curriculum mixed in. We'll be right back with my next guest, Irvine Mayor. Farah Khan running for re-election. Don't go away. All right, we're just queuing up. We're waiting for a call in from the mayor to... Um, cover what we're doing here at KUCI, the last candidate for our midterm elections. Stay tuned. While I await uh, her call into the studio, I'll just go ahead and introduce her. I hope we'll have a chance to cover some things. We've got so much. My guest will be, I hope, Irvine Mayor Farah Khan running for the election on this fall midterm ballot and the last candidate for the interview, as I just mentioned. She's being challenged by four candidates, elected mayor in 2020 November. Mayor Khan was first elected to the city council in 2018. Her early appoint, earlier appointments are Irvine Services Commissioner, Deerfield Elementary PTA, and Middle School PTA Board. She served on the school side council at a local high school. 
And previous to her family running Cater Business, she was a senior supervisor at Chiron Corporation and a quality assurance manager at Northview Pacific Labs. Since becoming mayor, she posts as her achievements a role in Irvine becoming the first city in Orange County to spearhead COVID-19 vaccination clinics in local neighborhoods and senior centers, passing a hero pay for frontline grocery workers, creating a new committee focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and adopted a resolution with strategies to support achieving carbon neutrality by 2030. I have so many questions for her about the Orange County Power Authority Board on which she serves and the composition of the executive suite and the goals and how she's monitoring, targeting, meeting those goals as a ratepayer and a constituent. I ask all those questions and we'll talk about, I hope, how the climate action plan is continuing to take shape. She is uh, we would uh, we're going to talk, I hope, about the broadband contract challenging what's essentially a citywide monopoly that Cox Communications has. And as well, uh, we would talk about the districting of our city council members, whether we would continue to have at large or whether we could see, as we have with all the other local entities on our ballot, a district in which voters can vote directly to one person immediately representing that particular geographic area and not all at large candidates running for the citywide. Remember, folks, we're over 307,000 in population. It seems like an important issue to address. And then I would like to talk with her about the new hotel worker protection ordinance that was before last week's city council special meeting. And we, I'd like to talk about the process toward considering this ordinance and her position on each of the provisions, the work rules, and the second round of the voting. So it's an asymmetric workplace for workers to deal with guests who are considered always right. And the guests, many of them, uh, we wouldn't know unless we were in the worker's position, the guests have, uh, some of them, an entitled idea about what they can do, how they comport themselves in the hotels, and this would be a concern. So I would like to bring up these and some great park issues, but I'm not getting hearing back, so I may have to take another music break to find out how we can do this. I'm going to be back with you after another station break. I appreciate everybody's patience here. Pobre nunca teve posto, a tristeza é a sua cicatriz, repare bem que só de vez em quando... Well, uh, it's uh, you and me, y'all. I'm going to still stand by and see if I can reach our mayor because so many of you, like me, are interested in lots of sunlight, lots of discussion about where public policy is heading in Irvine. We had lots of agendized items that were not approved for a large share of this term that were never heard up until finally the last four months or so. And so we wanted to hear from the mayor about the priorities that she's setting for the next term where she reelected. I have interviewed the four other, all but one, Ms. Daigle, I had interviewed in previous years. I have interviewed Simon Moon, Branda Lynn, and Tom Choman. 
who are challenging our incumbent mayor. And it's very important that we hear from her. And I am so sorry that we don't have her on right now. I will continue to try to reach her with yet another music break. So if you stay tuned with us, we will pull up, we will work out something, I hope. Thank you for staying tuned, everybody. We are without a mayor incumbent to talk with us about this uh, program. So I would like to make sure everybody knows the score with their ballots. We have the, uh, well, first, we have the November 8th deadline. That means if you have your ballot, you're in line by 8 p.m., stay in line. If you are not registered even now, the same day voting is same is registration as well. So anyone who's a little bit behind in getting these dots, uh, I's dotted, the T's crossed, you can go to your voting center, request registration form, complete that, and you will get a provisional ballot and it will be counted, I assure you. So let's talk then about the down ballot and oh so we've got we've got you covered with all those places if some of you have already received your pamphlets the sample pamphlet it'll have the nearest voting box as well as the nearest voting center and if anyone has found that they had made a mistake on their actual ballot they were issued the vote by mail one that was sent by the registrar of voters you can go online to the ocvote.gov and you can pull up in the registration tab your own voting account and therein you can pull up your upload all the necessary paperwork so you can vote electronically, print out that electronic result, put it in a downloaded envelope uh, paper that you have that you can take from that website. And you can drop that in the mail or you can put it in uh, with the voting center or a voter box. So those are so many different ways that you can handle this voting so that we have the fullest turnout. Another big one with me, and this I bring up with all of our local candidates, is the necessity of voting all the way down ticket. You've heard many people on our ballot talking and so this is very important that uh, they make critical decisions with your school board, with other pieces of policy that affect all of us. As one mentioned, uh, one candidate talked about is by, it was our congressional interview we did, that it's important to support local races with school boards because the educated public is important to the entire public so that, that an educated public is an educated workforce that can support all society l lifting our economic and civic vitality. That is for sure. So I, that is important. Then to, to, and if you don't know, you, don't, you say, I don't know who these people are. I don't know who this water district person is. I don't know who these judges are. I don't know the school board members. If you have those on there, the Board of Equalization, 
You do know somebody, though, that can give you good information. You can trust them. So I advise you to uh, go to go to that person or listen to some of these interviews. We don't we didn't have any judges on. We had one of the Orange County Water District people on. I did reach out to the incumbent for the Orange County Water District, but I did not hear back from him. So you have lots of resources so that you can vote down ballot. And then, as we mentioned in this last interview, that we were that it's important to vote for these officials who become potentially the elected officials of higher office. And I say higher with air quotes because all of these offices are are high in terms of being responsible for public policy. So I I want to thank everybody for listening today. I'm afraid we did not get to hear from the mayor. I'm going to see if I can secure a Zoom interview with her so that we can all benefit from what she has to tell us in her priorities and her commitments to the constituents, not the city. I say constituents. I include everybody. So thank you for listening. SoCal Nueva is next. But before I finally, finally, finally close, I want to let you know about next week's program because it's going to be on November 8th, Election Day. It's going to be the traditional Ask a Voter. Guests will be coming in, that is via phone, uh, around the country from Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin. I think I've got one from Michigan. And, And we'll have here... An Earth System Science student, Audrey's going to be on here, here in Irvine. And with all that tension building, I do hope I, uh, you know, I tend to crack with all the excitement, the long anticipation of this election. So then I gain my composure, of course. So now verify your registration or know that you can register on the same day, 11th of the 8th of November. Send in your ballot and always track it. Talk with you next week. Thanks, everyone for listening.